Welcome to the Going Up, Going Down podcast, which is brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell. With me is George Ellick. Today is another episode in our series called EFL Completed. The idea behind it, well, it was to talk to those who have experienced all that the English football pyramid has to offer. We've now got quite a lengthy back catalogue. Previous episodes include Connor Harrahan of Aston Villa, Dave Edwards, Dean Windass, Simeon Jackson and Rob Earnshaw. All of the Athletic podcasts are free on all podcast platforms and they're available ad-free on the Athletic site along, of course, with the best group of football writing around. Head to the Athletic site or download the app today to check it all out. Let's get down to business. George Ellick on the line with me. What or who have we got lined up today? <laughs> yeah, today's guest on EFL Completed made a quick leap up the leagues rather than a steady ascent through them, really making his name in non-league before jumping straight up into a championship side with whom he later won promotion. You could say he did a Jamie Vardy before Vardy himself. A flair player full of goals and assists off the right-hand side, he played for some of the toughest managers around and Mick McCarthy, Sean Dyche and Tony Pulis, winning Premier League promotion with two of them. Our guest today, we are delighted to say, is Michael Kitely. Michael, great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good afternoon. Uh, in the early part of your career, you were at Spurs as a schoolboy, uh, not kept on uh, and, and also after moving to Southend and playing a handful of games in their first team, you were released again, this time by Southend at 19 years old. So um, tough memories, I guess, to start with, but we're really interested to hear what those early experiences of, of disappointment are like when you're such a young age. Yeah, to be honest, when, when I was at Spurs at such a young age, um, I'd signed a contract up until I think it was till I was 16, till my scholarship. And I actually chose to leave before that. I wasn't enjoying my football. I found the pressure really hard at, at such a big club. I sort of wasn't doing the things that my mates were doing at school, you know, playing for the school team. After a few years at Spurs, I just thought this isn't for me. So I actually left Spurs, um, asked to be sort of, let, let my contract sort of be ripped up. And then I started finding the love again for football. And then that's when I went to Southend and sort of thought I'd give it another go. Started pretty well there, to be honest. At Southend, was was in the uh, in the youth team as a as, as a scholarship, um, doing well, and then got called up to the first team, and it was it was going well. I made a few good uh, appearances in the first team, and then before I knew it, I got released. Um, so I think it was after that I thought I've sort of give it two two goes at sort of pro level. I thought that's me done, to be honest. And it was that summer I actually went to, I actually went to Magaluf that summer and. It, a funny story. I was out there for for a holiday with one of my mates who knew a couple of workers, and I, I was actually going to end up selling jelly shots. So I, I rang my mum and I was like, <laughs> I rang my mum and I was like, I'm not coming home. I'm going to stay out here for the whole summer. And she basically told me to get my get myself back home. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Then I ended up going on trial to Grays, and and I was I was really lucky that I sort of walked into. You know, a good club at that time, good non-league club, um, and a, and a really good manager. At that stage, you're loving your football. You have mentioned that previously it hadn't come as easily that the joy of playing the game and at the professional level or trying to break into it. 
there was so much interest in you for obvious reasons at this stage. Was there anything in the back of your mind that, that thought, actually, if I'm enjoying it at this level and, and I'm, I'm not sure that I'm going to love the pressure of being a professional, was there anything in the back of your mind that was worried about getting that chance in the Football League or had you matured at that stage and you felt, you know, re- really ready for it? To be honest, in my first season, I thought this is my level. Um, I was re- obviously really enjoying myself. I was, you know, scoring most weeks. We was winning most weeks. I was really enjoying myself. And I just, I didn't think that about stepping up. And it was only when Frank Gray came in to be the manager, um, when he turned around to me and said, you'll play in the Premier League, that I sort of looked at him and thought he was joking. And I thought, no, he's being serious here. Um it was only until then where I thought, well, well, maybe it's time for me to move on. If you know, if he's thinking that, it's time for me to maybe tr- try and you know compete in in league football. And then I started getting a few teams watching me, and you know, a bit of interest. And 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 that's when obviously Wolves came in. By the time you left, was it too easy? You said when you first joined, you felt that was your level. By the end, with the confidence of of playing and performing, and also what your coaches were telling you, did, was the football just a bit too easy for you? Uh, I wouldn't say it was too easy because it was always competitive and, you know, it is difficult in the in the sort of the lower league because you do get players that, you know, to try and rough you up a little bit. I was, I was you know, quite slight. I wasn't a, a big, I'm big, not a big build um, type of player. So I wouldn't say it was easy, but I could tell that I was a couple of steps, you know, ahead of people in my mind, which was, which was good because I know that that was going to help me later on. Um and I just felt like I was getting better and better. Uh, and obviously, when I went to Wolves, then I was training with players that were better. Um, that helped me on a day-to-day basis. So, obviously, I was just progressing as the years were going on, really. Um, but I never felt at the time that, oh, this is too easy. I shouldn't be playing at this level. And I, I never really thought of it like that. Well, let's talk about your move then to the Championship. And you moved to Wolves in November 2006, initially on an emergency loan. I think we can see that, is, as it's thought these days, a loan with a view to a permanent deal. And, you know, when you think about a non-league player moving up to the Championship, especially to a club the side of Wolves, you'd think it would probably take a little bit of time for that player to bed in. But you were straight into the starting lineup, and you scored eight goals uh, in the second half of that season for a Wolves side that you helped fire into the playoffs. I mean, did you... Were you surprised by how quickly you took to to, to football at that level? Um, yes, I was. I, I remember when I first spoke to Mick McCarthy and I said to him, so what have you planned? Because I thought if I'm coming to a big club like this, I didn't think I'd come straight in and play. And he, he, he just was so honest with me. He just said, look, if you do the business on the training pitch, you'll play. And, and I was pretty lucky that Wolves were going through a little transition there where they were getting out sort of, senior players on, 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 you know, quite big money and they were trying to bleed in these new, young, hungry players. And I was probably the start of that, to be honest. You know, after me sort of came Matt Jarvis and David Edwards and Andy Keogh and, and players like that, Stephen Ward, all of the same sort of ilk. But I was probably the start of that rebuild, if you like, um, under Mick McCarthy in that sort of young, hungry, you know, coming from non-league well you know I hadn't come down from a, a big premiership club and sort of not larging it about but you know I wasn't fed with a silver spoon you know I went out to non-league and I sort of learnt my trade there and 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 that's what Mick sort of wanted in his squad and and I think that's why we did so well to be honest in in the in the you know in the years that we were there because we were all very similar 
um, types of people um, and players. Um, and I do remember my first game was was away at South End, which is mad because obviously South End released me. <laughs> and my first Point game was away. Yeah, and I remember going into that game thinking, I've got to play well, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. and Because I wanted to prove to the South End manager that he'd made a mistake and the chairman. I always had that in my back of my, high, my mind. That was always like my drive. My drive was like, I'm going to prove these wrong for releasing me. Because Southend was obviously my my team growing up. My, I was like, I'm a local boy. So I I used to use that to fuel me. And I went into that game and I actually didn't play that very well. I, I, I didn't do bad, but I didn't play very well. I kept the ball simple. Um, I didn't really take any players on. I didn't really take any chances. And I remember Mick McCarthy saying to me, like, did well. We won the game 1-0. He said, you did well, but, you know... I see you as a bit of a, you know, a way game player, you know, you keep it safe for us, sort of don't take any chances kind of thing. So the next game, I actually didn't start at home at Molyneux. I didn't start and the lad that started got injured. Then I started the next away game, which was away at QPR and I scored in that game and we won 1-0. And then from there, my career just at Wolves just, just, just went really. I just had that confidence as soon as I scored that first goal, that feeling in, in, sort of that goes rushes through your body, gave me so much confidence, made me feel like I belong there. And I just kicked on then after that and just, you know, just really started enjoying my football and and, and playing and playing some some good football as well. For you to go to a club the size of Wolves and, you know, with modern you everything that it is and the Wolves fans being as as great as they are, what was it like to suddenly be taken in? I mean you've that that pro that kind of transition from being a non-league player to suddenly not only being a championship player but being somebody who, you know, Wolverhampton Wanderers fans are enjoying watching play football. The, the way that the fans were with me really gave me a big boost. And I think the fact that I'd come out of the blue, you know, I'd signed for, you know, 25 grand. Obviously, when I'd signed, probably Wolves fans are thinking, you know, who, who's this player we're signing? You know, what's the point of this guy coming here? Um, and the fact that I probably surprised them, they probably liked that because I was kind of like the underdog um, you know, I drove in to training ground with, in, in my Fiesta and they probably hadn't seen that sort of happen for for a number of years, years at Wolves and, and probably will never see that ever again, to be honest. Um, so they really took to me and that just filled my confidence. Uh, Mick McCarthy um, gave me a lot of confidence, you know, even if I was having a bit of a sticky sort of 20, 20, 15, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, I never felt like he was going to bring me off. He'd always keep me on and, and that sort of gave me confidence and I just then every time I got the ball, I wanted to do something positive, and and that first game at Southend where I thought mm, I didn't really play how I would like to play there. You know, I wasn't really positive with the ball. As I said, I was pretty safe. I, I wasn't uh, taking any chances. After I was a little bit disappointed because I thought that's not really me. So I was keen to the next time that I played to make sure that I didn't do that. And, and you know, thankfully I didn't. Um, I started doing that towards the end of my career, but I think that just happens when you get a bit older. <laughs> I mean, that season for you, uh, it started off with a one-all draw at home to Stafford for Grays and it ended with a playoff semi-final defeat over two legs against West Brom. Uh, you scored two goals in the final two games of that season to get Wolves into the playoffs. Uh, what do you remember about the occasion? I mean, it doesn't get much bigger for Wolves to be going into a two-legged championship semi-final against uh, against the side just down the road. Obviously, when I came in, and as I said, Wolves were going through a transition. We we wasn't expected to to do anything that season, really. I think people would have been happy for us to to avoid relegation. And as the season went on, and we were sort of playing well and scoring goals, and we was this young and hungry team. 
people started thinking, oh, well, we could get into the playoffs here. And I remember we, we beat Leicester on the last day of the season to, to secure the playoff place, um, which I scored in. I think we beat them 4-1. Um, and then obviously we see that we were going to have West Brom. So it was like, wow, this is, this is big. The first game at Molyneux, we played really, really well. I remember Dean Kiley was was on fire that day, made a lot of good saves. I think I had a couple of one-on-ones that he saved. And we we really did play out of our skin and we lost. And, and I think as soon as we lost that game, because we how well we'd played, we went to the second leg and I think we just, we'd run out of steam. So it was disappointing that we weren't able to get to the final and obviously to get beaten by your local rivals was disappointing. But overall, that, that season was 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 a fantastic season and uh, and I think that helped us in the later years of obviously getting promoted to to have that sort of knockback and that hurt of of, of being denied uh, promotion. I think Kevin Phillips scored three and over the two legs and pretty difficult man to stop when in, when in a full flow. Um, but you mentioned how it went on to help you going forward and we'll, we'll move on now to a season that ended in success in 2008-2009 as, as Wolves were crowned champions of the championship getting 90 points, scoring 80 goals, finishing seven points clear of the rest. You were providing the bullets for Sylvani Banks-Blake, who scored 25 goals. You got 19 assists in the season. We're going to get on to what happened towards the end of the campaign shortly, but let's talk about the positives first. I mean, Ali mentioned a second ago how you were part of some pretty good teams. Where does this one rank? Yeah, I think this one is is right up there. I I think as I said, we've been brewing for a couple of seasons before that. Um, and in, in that pre-season, we'd just signed Chris Ilumu and I think Richard Stearman. And, and I just felt that in that pre-season, we looked strong, we looked good. We, we were taking teams apart in pre-season. And, and we went on to, I think we went on to win seven on the bounce. Um, we drew the first game and then we went seven on the bounce. And then I think we lost and then won seven on the bounce again. And we we were just we were just a really good team. We had two good forwards in in Ebanks Blake and Chrissy Walumu. We had me and Matt Jarvis on the wings, you know, and, and then we had a, a good spine. In we had uh, Carl Henry and, and and David Jones in centre midfield, you know, and, and and the list goes on. We uh, we had a really good team and a, a team that worked for each other. Which I've always said this throughout my career. You know, you can have the the best team technically, but if they don't work for each other and they haven't got the good team spirit then you won't get promoted over a 40 odd game season and we had that at Wolves it's really hard to either win a division or, or to get promoted and you need to have that good dressing room and and you know good characters in there and, and people that are willing to, to work hard for each other if you haven't you've got no chance and, and we had that you mentioned Mick McCarthy a second ago and, and you know he has a reputation I'd say these days for not necessarily the most attractive style of football but as I mentioned, 90 points and 80 goals says something else. You've also spoken about how he brought through a collection of young players that really brought Wolves along. I mean, how and in, in what kind of regard do you hold McCarthy? What kind of a manager was he like to play under? He was really, really good. So honest as well. You know, even if he was coming to you for bad news, to give you bad news, he would do it in a way where you came out of that office thinking, fair play to him, like, I, I, I like that. Like, So you came out, even sometimes if he was dropping you, liking him even more which was crazy (laughs) yeah yeah you actually did and I don't think there was any other manager in my career where I can say I had that feeling you know sometimes you come out of a manager's office and you think what load of rubbish that was or he's just 
you know, told me a pack of lies. You never felt that with with Mick McCarthy. And, and I think the fact that he was like that, he had so much respect, not just from myself, but from everyone, not, not even the 11 that were playing, the whole squad. And I think that really helped us. Yeah, so the season couldn't have ended better for Wolves, but for you, it must have been pretty bittersweet. Uh, having been having come third in the EFL Player of the Year awards behind Ibax Blake and Kevin Doyle, um, you were then injured. You broke a metatarsal in a friendly match with about five or six games to go of the season, which ruled you out for the rest of the campaign. So you had to watch the promotion celebrations from the sideline. How difficult was it to enjoy what you'd worked so hard to achieve? I've only really spoke about this since I retired, and that was only really through respect for Mick McCarthy. Because I actually pulled out of an under-21s game to sort of get some rest. I, I had a niggling hip injury that was giving me a bit of trouble sort of throughout the season, but I was managing it and still playing and training on it. And he sort of said to me, he didn't say pull out, but he sort of implied it. And I thought, yeah, I think it's a good idea. We had six games left. I just scored away at Forest as well to win. Well, we won 1-0 away at Forest. So I rang Stuart Pearce and said, look, Gaffer, I don't think I, I can make the squad this uh, this time. I've got, I've got a hip injury that I need to keep on top of. We've got six games left. We're pushing for promotion. You know, I want to be fresh and ready for that. And Stuart Pearce was fine with it. He, he understood. So I think we sort of had three or four days off. I think I might have even gone away for three or four days. I felt fresh, come back. And we played, I think it was Telford in a training ground game friendly um, and, and Mick you know wanted everyone to play 45 minutes and I played 45 minutes in that was one on one with the keeper the keepers just got there before me jumped over him as I've landed I felt a crack in my foot so I've, I've come off doctor scanned it and you could see there was a clear break through my metatarsal and, and that was me out for the season so it was really tough because I felt I could have gone on and won two more caps for for England for under 21s and I chose not to, to sort of, you know, make sure I was fit and ready for those last six games of that league. And I, and then I couldn't play in it because I've broken my foot in, in a game that I shouldn't have really played in. So it was very difficult. I was very emotional, very upset. I was angry. I was really angry with Mick. I understood why he wanted me to play because he just wanted me to top up my match fitness. But, you know, at the time I sort of didn't look at it like that. And then I went on to have an operation. Whilst I had my foot done, I had my hip repaired um, in America and I was watching the boys from America you know I think they beat Southampton and Derby over the uh, the Easter period I watched that from America from my from my bed in hospital and then I came back and, and watched the game that we got promoted at QPR uh, at home um, up in the stands and when Ebanks Lake scored that goal to make us uh, win the league I just broke down in tears I was just so emotional it was it was it was a really weird feeling because I was so emotional and happy that we were going to get to play in the Premier League. But yeah, I was so sad that I wasn't down on that pitch with the lads. And it sounds crazy because, as you said, that year I scored, you know, I think, eight goals. You know, I've got 19 assists. I got in I got in team of the year, PFA team of the year. And I played 40 games and missed six. And I, I literally, lifting that trophy, I felt like I, I didn't deserve to be lifting the trophy. It was such a weird feeling. Um, anyone else that sort of listened to this that's been through that will know exactly what I mean. It's a real, real, real weird feeling that you've played such a big part throughout the season, but because you weren't on that pitch at the time, when you lift the trophy, you felt almost that you shouldn't have been there, which was, was a weird feeling, but um, obviously amazing that we got promoted. It's interesting to hear you say that because I mean, we spoke to Dave Edwards on the podcast a, a few weeks ago, and he was obviously a player as well who who had... 
some big moments in his career blighted by injury. Um, and he spoke about his difficulty in dealing with it. And he spoke about how now looking back, understanding more about mental health, he kind of realises that he was probably in depression. And, and that summer, you know, your injury issues, despite the foot and the hip healing, um, you developed tendonitis, which meant that your kind of dream season uh, moving up into the Premier League was was hampered as well. I mean, how difficult did you find dealing with the with the situation there with your injuries? Yeah, that, that year was one of the toughest years of my life, to be honest. And it's only, as you as Dave said before, it's only now that you look back and you think, wow, I really needed help over those sort of 18 months that I was out. But at the time, if someone would have come to me and said, you need to speak to someone or you need help mentally, I, I would have said, no, no, I'm fine. Because that's how I was. But I really struggled. Obviously, I had tendonitis, I think, for whatever reason, when I had my hip up and my ankle up at the same time. I think that's obviously knocked my the way that I walk and run, knocked it out of sync, if you like. And I had chronic, chronic tendonitis. And it was an injury where it wasn't like when you do your medial or do you break your leg, you know you're going to be out for this length of time. It was a, an injury where you just didn't know when it was going to end. And that's what I found really hard. I had no end goal. I couldn't see any light of any tunnel. And I used to go to train, used to be first in, last out every day. And in the end, it broke me. It, it literally broke me. I remember sitting in the dressing room on my own and just bursting out crying. And, and it was Sam Vokes that walked in and he was only he was only pretty young then, Sam Vokes. And he, he just came up to me and he just he just gave me a big cuddle and just sort of tried to reassure me. But it was hard for him because he didn't know what to say. Obviously, the lads, you know, they always sort of say, as, you, as you're injured, how are you getting on? I want to know what, when you're going to be back fit. And everyone knew that we didn't know when I was going to be back fit. So it was very difficult to sort of help me, really. And I, I'm used to remember coming home from training and just, sitting in my room and shutting the door and I didn't want to speak to anyone my missus at the time I, did, I didn't even want to be around her I just shut myself off and then looking back now knowing what I know about mental health and the things that I've gone through from that stage I would have known that you know I needed to sort of help myself and and, and, and seek help but I, I didn't and definitely played a, a big part of you know building me as a person that um, even though it was a, a tough tough period for myself I think a lot of footballers from such a young age sort of are told to be mentally strong and, you know, to to, to make it in football, it's such a, a small percentage that make it. You've got to be tough and you can't show any weakness. So that's drilled into you from, that was drilled into me since I was 10 years old. So when I got to 21, 22, I felt like I was this Superman that couldn't feel emotion, that couldn't, open up I think the PFA uh, they're really trying to help you know the mental health thing but they need to push ex-players that have been through mental health they need to push those players to help the generation of now we had team meetings with with psychologists and you know no one wants to talk in front of anyone in in a group because everyone's got their own ego everyone doesn't want to feel like they're mentally weak you know you don't want to go to your manager because Let's face it, you go to your manager and you say you're struggling with, with mental health and you're not quite in the right headspace uh, at the minute. What happens on a Saturday? You get dropped. It's, it's just, it's a fact. So when I see all this mental stuff, health stuff coming out sometimes, and, you know, I hear people say, speak about it, speak about it. It's not as easy as that because a manager's, a manager's job is to get three points on a Saturday 
And if he's got four or five players that have come to him and said, I'm struggling mentally with this and I've got this going on at home and they're open, he's not going to play them. So that player doesn't go and speak to the manager and tell him about his, his issues because he's worried about getting drops. And that one release that he gets a week playing in front of, you know, whatever thousand fans is going to get taken away from him because the manager thinks he's not in the right headspace. So it's very difficult. It is very difficult to come out and speak about it. And I won't say what manager, but I, I actually did speak to a manager later on in my career and, and said to him that I was struggling with a, f- a few things that were going on in my personal life. And, you know, what happened on a Saturday? I got dropped. <laughs> so, you know, if they can ring the PFA and they can have someone where the club don't even know that they're in a bad place uh, and, and that person that the PFA choose to go to his house or to a coffee shop and meet him, I think that would be good. I think that would be a good idea. Um, but something definitely needs to get done. So, um, obviously, they are trying and it is getting better and better. You know, 10 years ago, we wouldn't even been having this conversation. I would say nine out of 10 footballers all suffer with some sort of mental health. But that's just my opinion. It's, it's in every footballer, I think. Well, those first two seasons in the Premier League obviously didn't go the way you'd have wanted them to um, because of your injuries, you were used fairly sparingly. And it's interesting hearing you speaking about the relationship that you have with managers whilst you're going through difficult times because I look through those Premier League appearances and it looked like Mick McCarthy often kind of chucked you on as a substitute, often at half-time, basically, when things weren't really going to plan, which must have been a pretty difficult role to play for a side, you know, when you're, you're not necessarily your fittest, you're not, you know, mentally your fittest either. What are your kind of lasting memories of those first two seasons? Well, the best thing that could have happened to me was me going out on loan to Watford because I came back and obviously I've been out for 18 months and I just couldn't get, I was I was fit, but I couldn't get match fit. I couldn't get up to speed. And I, I played a game, chucked me in, in a game and, and, I, and I just wasn't myself. And a Monday morning, he, he pulled me in the office and said, I think you need to go out on loan and play some games. And I, I couldn't agree more um, with him. And, and I actually obviously went to, to go to Watford and I found a great manager there under under Sean Dyche, and I was really lucky because he, he he the day I signed he, he he pulled me and he said, "Come here, play your football, get your fitness what you need to get, and then get yourself back playing in the Premier League. You'll play every game for me." And uh, and that was like the best thing that I could have heard, and that just gave me a little bit of confidence. It made me free up a little bit in my game, um, and I and I did that, and I had a really good loan spell. And, that loan spell was probably the most important spell of my career, I think, because I could have quite easily have slipped back out of the game. But instead, I went the other way. You know, it must have been bittersweet for you, the promotion, as you've spoken about, because you were out. The relegation must have also been bittersweet, because despite Wolf struggling, finishing on 25 points, coming last, coming bottom of the, of the league, you returned from Watford halfway through that season fit and playing the best Premier League football you've played so far in your career. What was it like to be playing in a side you knew you knew were destined for relegation, but finally being fit and firing again? So I remember when I was at, uh, at Watford, I came in from uh, from the game, and I used to always check for Wolves' score. And, and you know, at, at that time, they were losing, so I'd think, oh, no, like they're going to get relegated. But I was enjoying myself at Watford. So when I went back to Wolves, obviously... the 
the, the team was really low. You know, their confidence was shot to bits. I was flying. I had my spark back. I'd, I'd got myself proper match fit. I was I was confident. So I came back into that mix and I, and I I felt good about myself. And I remember scoring my first goal, um, Premier League goal, um, at home to Aston Villa. And just that feeling was the best feeling I've ever had on a football pitch. Um, that one moment. It was obviously in front of the, the Wolves fans at Molyneux, uh, in front of the South Bank. And as soon as I scored that goal, my first ever Premier League goal, the, the feeling and the passion that came out of me on that, that moment was just, you know, unbelievable. Something that I'll never, ever experience again. But I knew that we were going to get relegated that season. And then obviously I had the decision whether I was going to leave or stay. And obviously that's when I, I chose to, to move on. Yeah, it feels... Michael, from reading your thoughts uh, in other interviews, that leaving Wolves was like a real wrench for you uh, in quite a few different ways. Can you talk us through the circumstances around the departure? Because there was a little bit of nastiness as well from a section of Wolves fans who who almost felt like you sort of owed the club something given how closely they'd stuck by you through through all of your injury troubles. But from what you've said before, it, it wasn't necessarily your decision. No, it, you know, I had a year left on my contract. Obviously, I'd been out for, for 18 months. Wolves had just brought in Stolas Solbakken, um, who didn't really know anything about the English game. He, he didn't really know anything about us as players, to be honest, because he came in and sort of said, at the end of the season, um, I know you don't know me, but I don't really know any of yous, but hopefully I'll get to know you. And that just gave me a bit of a, a bad sort of taste in my mouth going away that off-season. And I just thought, I think maybe it's time for me to move on. I had a couple of interests from from Premier League clubs. Obviously, I'd missed a lot of Premier League football through my injuries. And I just felt it was my time to move on. And I, I went back into pre-season. I was really fit. I was you know, it was going well pre-season. And I remember um, Solbeck and sort of saying to me, um, you know, you're going to stay, you're going to go because, you know, if you're going to go, then I need to get a replacement. And I have this this player, I can't remember who he was. Um, I have this player ready to come in. So I need to know what's going to happen. And I just felt if he really wanted me to stay, he would have said, look, here's a five-year contract. We're going to build the team around you and we're going to really go for promotion again. But they they didn't. And, I just thought, well, he's not really fighting for me, so I think it's my time to go. Um, and I get, I get why Wolves fans were angry. Um, I really do. But there wasn't a time when I had a contract sitting in front of me and I knocked it back. I, I never knocked back any contract. It, it wasn't there, the contract. It was sort of like, are you going to stay for this year and then go at the end of the next year or are you going to go now? And it was like, well, I might as well go now then. And you had offers from the Premier League. You joined Stoke. Uh, this is the, the 2012-2013 season. And, and I note that because it's kind of an interesting time looking back uh, in Stoke's Premier League history. And I guess in, in just in general, their modern history. It's the last season under Tony Pulis, who, who of course had been such a huge feature of their rise, but also of their establishment as a, as a Premier League club. Um the squad was just starting to evolve uh, at that stage as well from a lot of the guys who you remember from Stoke's early period in the Premier League where they were, you know, terrifying Arsenal, uh, allegedly. Um, but I- I'm interested to know, you know, you joined that summer, so you were part of, of a group of players that came in. Did it feel like a club that was sort of shedding its skin slightly or trying to evolve in, in, in a certain way? 
Uh, it was a club that I felt that was only going up, definitely. You know, I think we were eighth for quite a bit of that season. Um, we, we beat Liverpool at home on Boxing Day. You know, we were going away to teams uh, Chelsea and, and and drawing nil nil or, or losing one nil in the last minute. You know, we we were a tough team to beat. We had a, a good set of lads, um, some good players, and, and you know, Pulis got a lot of stick and and. I'll be honest, I didn't really enjoy playing for him um, because I didn't like the way that he played, but I respected the way that he played because we got results. You know, he, he obviously gone on to be an absolute legend for Stoke and, and, and since he's left, Stoke have gone downhill and, and it's, it's no surprise really because he had such a way of playing and, and it was the Stoke way. And Although people said it wasn't attractive, you know, when you're beating Liverpool at home three Three one, and you know you're, you're going away to to Man United and giving them a good game. You know it's it's good for Stoke fans. I enjoyed it there. It was a good season, but um, it was very obviously different under Pulis. Very very different to Mick McCarthy. How come it was just one season with Stoke? What what was the circumstance behind you moving to Burnley? He went in that summer, um, and, and Mark Hughes came in, um, and I had a really good pre-season under Mark Hughes. I scored a, a really really good goal on a pre-season tour. I was I was playing well. And I remember the first game of the season thinking, I've got a good chance to start in here. Um, and a couple of the, sort of the other lads said, oh, I think you'll start. And uh, we had Liverpool away. And I wasn't even, I didn't even make the bench. And I thought, wow, like, I must be miles away from what he's thinking. I don't think he knew too much about me, to be honest. We had um, Everington and Jermaine Pennant there, who, to be honest, they were at the stage where they were sort of coming to the end of their careers. And he would put them in front of me. And I just felt he's probably just going for the name here rather than sort of giving me a go. Or, or, or maybe just didn't think I was good enough. And I had Sean Dice that was ringing me sort of every week because I had my loan spell at Watford saying, what's happening? I've seen you not, you're not, you're not involved. Like, come and play for me. Come and enjoy your football. You know, sort of speaking to me like, you know, he was he was my mate. Um, and I just thought, you know what? I had a great time at Watford. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Burnley. And I had, I had interest to go to other clubs. Um, I think I could have gone to Leicester under Nigel Pearson, but I thought no, I'm going to Burnley because I want to play for Sean Dyche again. And and what a decision that made uh, to be because we obviously got promoted that first season straight away. Yeah, and you're back with Sam Vokes as well in the 2013-14 season. Burnley promoted to the Premier League. Uh, Ings and Vokes both hitting 20 goals in the league. I mean, I know you've got fond memories of that Wolves side. That's become very clear. But this must have been a hell of a season to be a part of and, and an amazing squad as well. Yeah, this was this was very, very close, to be honest. I think the only reason why I preferred the Wolves time is because I had that sort of rapport with the fans coming from non-league. But this season for Burnley was, was just an unbelievable season. Obviously, Ings and Vokes, um, as you said, were on fire. We had Trippier, who's gone on to be a world-class player. Um, we had him in the team, Tom Heaton in goal. You know, we had a really good team. We had David Jones, who was playing centre midfield for Wolves when I got promoted. He was in the team. Dean Marnie, who had a really good career. He was a, a really good character and a really good player. So we had a we had a really good team, and it was so similar to the Wolves team: four four two, two good strikers, two wingers, um, and you know, mm-hmm. obviously we went on to, to 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 get promotion. We didn't quite win the league, but obviously got promotion how would you sum up the the difference in the play in the premier league and what you have to adapt to as a wide player for example the fullbacks are so quick and and so attacking so you're having to you know 
be a defensive wide player, which is not what you want to do. You, you're tracking back half the time. I used to hate playing against Ashley Cole because he used to just make you, uh, you turn into a right uh, into a right back rather than a right midfielder because you're just thinking, oh god, he's coming again. He's overlapping again, and it, it it's just it's just not nice to be honest. It's just not enjoyable. Um, where in non-league, you're sort of you're thinking about what you're doing to them. Where in the Premier League, you're coming across, you know, these world-class players, and every single player is a very, very, very good player. You know, you hear these people that say, "Oh, he's rubbish," <laughs> and I'm thinking, "No, no, he's not rubbish. He's he's playing in the Premier League because he's a very good player. Anyone that's playing in the Premier League is a good player." Where when you play in the lower leagues, you do have players that are weaker links in those teams where in the Premier League there is no weak link there isn't you can't say oh let's play on the left uh, left centre half because he's the weaker link there isn't They're, they don't have them especially the top teams you know they have you know they can have two teams that are, that are stronger than your team <laughs> so um, that's the difference just the quality and, and the athleticism in the Premier League is scary it's literally scary that it's like you're playing against Usain Bolt uh, who can, you know, who can do a Cruyff turn and, and smash one in the top corner? You know, Aguero is 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 one of those players where you can't get the ball off him. He's so strong, he's so quick, but then he can go past two or three players and smash it in the top corner. Where obviously you don't get those type of players in the lower leagues. In the 2014-15 season, Burnley were relegated straight back down. Uh, it, it kind of it was a side that struggled to score goals. It kind of looks like that was ultimately the the problem but in 2015-16 straight back up uh, a really impressive championship campaign another promotion uh, for yourself to be a part of and I guess one of the things that, that George and I talk about a lot and even more so over the last few years is that you get clubs relegated from the Premier League on paper they have a huge advantage financially with you know in theory the players and the squad that they have um, and yet the record of clubs getting relegated and then going straight back up is is really poor over the last five years or so. It's pretty much just Newcastle that have done it, I think. So um, this is post-Burnley doing it. I, what I wanted to know is we talk about the hangover of relegation and how that can affect a squad and a club more psychologically than anything else. What are your thoughts as to why Burnley uh, and this team under Sean Dyche were able to, to, to get over that and get straight back up? I think that's purely down to... Sean Dyche and his management staff, the way that they were, the, the, the meetings that they had going into that season. Um, I think when you do get relegated and when you are playing in the Premier League, when I was at Wolves and when I was at Burnley and you're getting beat sort of near enough every week, your confidence can get drained. So I think the next year is always a hard year because you're low in confidence because you're not used to winning football matches where Sean Dyche was very good at saying to people or saying to us as a team this is what we're good at this is what we did last time we're going to do the same this is we, we're going to work harder than every other team we've got the talent we've proved that and he just kept people's confidence uh, in a good place and, and we always sort of felt that we could get promoted again but that season wasn't plain sailing I remember Boxing Day we we hadn't won a game for, for a good amount of time. And Boxing Day, we played Hull. I think we got beat like three or four nil. And um, we were sort of fifth or sixth or something like that, and or, or maybe fourth. And it was after that game that we then went 23 games unbeaten till the end of the season. And it was just a, an amazing sort of finish to the season, second half of the season. So it wasn't plain sailing that season, that season, but 
Sean Dyche was very good at sort of keeping us focused in the here and now, keeping us confident, keeping us uh, believing in what we were good at. Um, and that's what he does. He's so good at that. Um, and he, he still does that to this day. It sounds like he's a, a, a manager and, and probably a, a man as well that you just hold in, in the highest regard, basically. Yeah, definitely. Um, he, he was very good with me. You know, I used to speak to him, you know, a lot um, when I left Watford. Um, he sort of stayed in contact with me. And I think he was like that with a few lads. And, uh, and he was just a re- I just think he was a really good manager. You know, his man management probably wasn't as good as Mick McCarthy's, if I'm honest. It wasn't as good. His actual man management. Um, but his management as a team and as a squad was the best I'd ever seen because his attention to detail was, was brilliant. His meetings, you know, you'd have so many team meetings over your career and you think, Oh, what a waste of time that was. I used to come out of his team meetings thinking that was brilliant. That's really helped me. And if it's helped me, it's probably helped a few more. Um, and that's why I think Burnley um, was, you know, have had such a good, you know, climb in the last few years. And, I know for a fact he, he won't change the way he is because I know how he is. He will keep on top of that and he'll keep improving and improving and improving. It'll be interesting to see whether he goes on to, to you know a bigger club in the future. You went on loan out to Burton Albion <clears throat> at the end of your, your Burnley career. And uh, it certainly wasn't just one of those loan spells. You mentioned that your, your time at Watford early in your career was a good loan spell. I mean, this one looked pretty special as well. Uh, you came in in the 16-17 season, made 12 appearances for Burton scored four goals, three of them were in wins at home to your old club Wolves, Norwich and Leeds. Probably three of the biggest victories Burton Albion have ever had as a club. I mean, what are your memories of your time at the Pirelli? Yeah, they were really good, to be honest. Like, I went there on deadline day. I, my contract was up in the summer with Burnley and um, I knew I needed to get out and play some games. And I think Burnley signed Robbie Brady on deadline day and Sean Dyche just literally said to me a couple of hours before the window was shutting, you can go out on loan. And I was like, well, I've got two hours. And, uh, you know, I thought I've got no chance. And then, and, and then it was uh, obviously Nigel Clough that, uh, that that rang me up and sort of said, will, will you come? And I thought, it's down the road. I'm still living in, you know, in, in Birmingham, in, in Litchfield. So I thought, yeah, perfect. And I went there and it, I really, really enjoyed my time there. Great set of lads. Um you know, a good manager, a manager that was, you know, real old school from stories from what I hear, you know, very similar, like, like, to, like his dad, things that he used to do. Um, I, I remember my, my first training session um, leading up to the Wolves game, which was my first game. Um, we were doing set pieces uh, on the Friday and he had his dog in his arm. And I was thinking, what's, what's happening here? Like Gaffer's, the Gaffer's got like his, his dog in his arm, like a puppy. And I thought, I've never seen anything like that at any club that I'd ever been at, even non-league. Um, but he, he used to do these weird things like that. And it almost sort of made you relax because he caught, sort of thought, well, the gaffer's not overly serious. He was very serious and, you know, he demanded a lot out of the lads, but he sort of was very laid back. And I think that helped us, you know, we, we had, you know, we Burton, you know, they're a small club in the championship. As you said, those three teams are massive clubs and we would turn them over. Um, and he was a massive reason why. Um, it was a, it was a great, great spell for me. As you said, 12 games and four goals was, was pretty decent and I really enjoyed it. 
Really enjoyed it. I, I, would, I wish I would have stayed there, to be honest. Did you have the chance to stay there? For whatever reason, they weren't really too keen in sort of giving out two or three year contracts. It was sort of like a year contract that they offered me. Um, and I chose to go to Southend, which is obviously where I was from, and sort of my boys club. I could have gone to the MLS. I'd, I'd agreed to go to the MLS, but um, chose to go back to Southend, um, whether that was... <laughs> a mistake or not who knows <laughs> this is I think the, the sixth EFL completed we've done and this is the third time with Dean Windass going back to Hull and Dave Edwards going back to Shrewsbury where we've seen a player going back to where it all started uh, at the end of their career did did it go the way you wanted it to go returning to Roots Hall no definitely not no um as I said, I was sort of set on going to America and playing in the MLS, but I, 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 two reasons why I didn't do that. One, because my children, I didn't want to sort of leave them. It's a long way to go. So I wasn't sort of prepared to do that. And 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 the other reason was the fact that I'd been released at Southend and it was my hometown club. And I wanted to go back there and, and try and have that fairy tale ending. You know, I knew I was going to retire it at Southend once I'd signed for Southend um, but it just didn't work out um, like that really you know for a number of reasons to be honest you know Southend are, are in quite a lot of trouble at the minute financially and as a club you know it's, it's difficult to see what what's what's happening down at Southend at the minute and that was sort of going on while I was there and um, it's a shame really um, but would I have done it again I probably would have still have signed for them because I was just hoping for that fairy tale finish it's been so amazing Michael hearing about all parts of your career not just the highs but actually hearing you discuss the the tough times as well I think is uh it's just amazing to get that sort of depth into what is an amazing career uh, as mentioned you, you were part of South End's uh, uh, squad last season uh, but you did retire last summer so just coming up to a year out of the game how have you found that, you know, a life in football, essentially, as you've discussed throughout the podcast and now uh, a fair amount of time away from the game to take stock? How have you how have you dealt with moving outside of football? Yeah, to be honest, I was worried about retiring, thinking, you know, how how am I going to deal with it mentally? But I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't missed playing. I really haven't. I I've been lucky enough to to do quite a bit of commentary and sort of things like this that keep my mind active and sort of keep me involved in the game, which I think is really important. Um, and I, and I, I was quite busy before the the coronavirus doing bits and bobs, so hopefully that will that will start again. Um, but playing wise, you know, I, I'm just not missing it at all. I'm not even missing the banter um, in the dressing rooms, which I thought I would. Um, I, I I think I got to that stage where I was um, I'd fallen out of love of playing and 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 being in and around it that, that much that I was I was I was almost beginning to to hate playing football, which is crazy because it's what I love and what I've always loved. Um, so I think the fact that I, I knew I was ready, you know, I was a thirty four. I'm still fit and well, I, you know, still work out and run that I could still probably play. Um, but I don't think I was in the right mental headspace to play anymore. And I think I retired at the right time for me, if I'm honest. And, and at the minute, um, as I said, I've been enjoying doing those other things. Um, 
that, that I've been doing, obviously, before before the lockdown. Well, it's been our absolute pleasure to have you uh, on the Going Up, Going Down podcast, the latest episode of EFL Completed. So thank you, Michael Kitely, for joining us today. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Michael is is the latest in a growing group of players who have talked us through uh, amazing careers. All guys who have experienced pretty much every single facet of English football from Conor Harahan, Dave Edwards, Dean Windass, Simeon Jackson and Rob Earnshaw. We're actually building a pretty tidy six-a-side team so far. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it's definitely worth listening back to previous episodes. It's been fascinating to get the insight from all of those guys. Uh, there are many other athletic podcasts. They are all free on all of the podcast platforms. They're also av- available ad-free on the athletic site, along with the best group of football writers that you'll find. So head to the Athletic site or download the app to check it all out. And please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed. We go again next week, a new episode, a new podcast, and we hope you'll join us for that.